many times we're short-sighted and we don't think about tomorrow, but tomorrow is literally just a few hours away. And I don't understand why we worry about tomorrow, but we don't actually plan for it, a lot of us. And if you don't want to worry, you just plan and you just step into the party. So that's the party that I invite everyone to. It's like, well, let's create this amazingly epic party for the rest of your life. And what we're doing now is we're, we're just creating invitations, we're buying up supplies, we're creating all this so that when you step into the room, it's exactly the way you want it to be, which is your tomorrow. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Did you know that most people are paying too much on their auto loan? It's true. Jen and Dave use AutoApprove to refinance, replacing their overpriced loan with a cheaper loan and a lower monthly payment. They use the money they saved to finally take that family lake trip they'd always talked about. What would you do with more money in your pocket? AutoApprove connects vehicle owners with the best available rates to refinance their current car loans with no markups ever and handles the paperwork. Yes, even the DMV making it simple to save thousands and lower your monthly payments. They do it by instantly accessing the nation's most competitive lenders to find your savings immediately. When you refinance with AutoApprove, you get an advocate that works for you to make sure you get a great deal. In fact, in 2021, AutoApprove was able to save their customer on average almost $1,700 a year. That means more money for road trips, family vacations, and visits to grandma's house, more money for what matters most. So what are you waiting for? You deserve a lower monthly car payment. Free up more money today for your next adventure when you refinance with AutoApprove. Find out how much you can save at autoapprove.com slash journey to launch. That's A-U-T-O-A-P-P-R-O-V-E dot com slash journey to launch. If you want the episode show notes for this episode, go to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this episode. In the show notes, you'll get the transcribed version of the conversation, the links that we mentioned, and so much more. Also, whether you are an OG journeyer or brand new to the podcast, I've created a free jumpstart guide to help you on your financial freedom journey. It includes the top episodes to listen to, stages to go through to reach financial freedom, resources, and so much more. You can go to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart to get your guide right now. Okay, let's hop into the episode. Okay, journeyers, welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast. I have a special guest. Her name is Angela Matthews. She's an investor, an investment coach, and founder of the Happy Investor Method. Her goal is to make investing accessible and fun for all. I love that. She's also self-taught and was able to pay off six figures of debt, making $40,000. Her investments have allowed her to travel all over the world to 45 countries and counting, take care of her parents, pay for her wedding, purchase her first home, and who knows what else. We're going to find that out in this talk. So welcome to the podcast, Angela. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes. All right. So one of the things, and I can't, you know, I have to share this backstory and this is why I feel like every time that I've had to try to record multiple time with guests, <laughs> it's always been a great conversation. So, you know, I don't want to jinx it, but I think it will because Angela and I have tried to record this now a couple of times and we recorded a conversation a couple of weeks ago and it was really, it was so powerful because um, I learned so much more about you, but of course the recording, it did not hold, it kind of disappeared and we have to do it again. So what I'm hoping um, to get out of this interview and to have my audience hear from you is your journey from essentially like having debt, not making a lot of money to where you are today, because so many of my listeners and journeyers are in that situation. They want to have more freedom. They want to follow their goals and travel, but they just don't know where to start. And I know investing, it's the catalyst. It's the way that a lot of people do this. And so I'm happy that you're going to be able to talk to that. So to walk us back a bit, can you explain to us how you got into like investing in the first place? I know we have to go further back with the debt a bit, but like what made you get interested in investing? So 
my origin story, and I love superheroes, so I always have an origin. We all have origin stories. So my origin story is I was working at this job in Dumbo, Brooklyn as a recruiter, and I was making 40K a year. And a series of things had happened to end up in a Google search. So I literally asked for PTO days that got denied. And I was so pissed off because I was working 60 hour weeks and I just wanted like a three day vacation. And they said, no, it's not going to work out. So I realized that, you know, this is not going to be my life forever. It cannot be my life forever. Asking permission to live, barely making ends meet, living in my mom's basement. Like, what are we doing here? And so I literally went to the smartest entity I knew, which was Google. And I Googled, (laughs) how do you become rich? At the time, it wasn't, you know, where there's so many blogs and influencers and people talking about their path. It really was crickets out there. And what I found was most folks inherit their wealth. And I thought, well, hmm, my parents are immigrants and we got a lot of debt. I'm not really sure what I'm inheriting here. So I had to get better with my Google search. And I Googled, how do you become self-made? How do you become rich through like self-made? And two answers came up. One, entrepreneurship. So that's the the most stable way um, to kick off the ground. And then in order to keep your wealth investing, you have to passively invest. You have to figure out a way to have your money, make money for you while you're outliving your life and have it actually grow. And so that's what I did. I did both. And I really didn't see it as an option, right? I was, and that was my last job too. That was my last W-2 job. I never, ever will ever again ask for PTO days. Like I'm never asking someone permission to live my life. Ooh, okay. So let's walk it back because I think what you said, first of all, shout out to Google because that's similar to my start of finding out about the FIRE movement, financial independence, retire early was when I had this commute Googling, like, how do I quit my job? You know, and then it led me down this rabbit hole. But let's walk back a little bit. I love that you uh, just said you were an immigrant and you talked about kind of debt. You alluded to how much debt your family had. And I want to talk about your relationship with debt because I realized that you do have, I think, a nice way to view debt and how to leverage it to get to where you want to go. But let's take it back to how that was shaped in your childhood and growing up. So my parents came to this country and I always say they got a green card and a credit card hand in hand. And no one knew about a score. I mean, let's be real. A lot of us didn't know about a credit card. We're so savvy as individuals and consumers now, but you know, our parents and their parents didn't know anything that there was a number behind tracking our uh, debt habits. And so our parents, or at least my parents would co-sign for random people. They would take loans out. They didn't understand interest. They thought, okay, this is a hundred dollars. So I'm going to pay you back a hundred, maybe 105. They had no idea that they were going to pay double whatever it was they owed. So I inherited that, you know, when time came for me to go to college, uh, my sister did the the perfect immigrant thing that uh, all of our parents want. She became a doctor but she kind of screwed them over and got her PhD, not like the medical one. So here's to being specific, right? And so she used a lot of the funds that they saved for that. And I went to college for philosophy, right? I didn't really have a really good, I'm going to do this amazing thing. I was just like, let's be real here. No one gets paid from what they go to college for. At least that's what the people I interviewed said. So I said, well, I'm going to learn how to think. And so I paid a lot of money to learn how to think. (laughs) And with that debt, I thought about, you know, a lot of folks have guilt around their debt. But for me, I look at debt as as an opportunity. It gave me the opportunity to to go backpacking in Europe. It gave me the opportunity to go to a college, a really great school that my parents couldn't afford. And so I think what we're missing is that gratitude that comes with the debt that we take on. Yes, it's something there, but it's something that afforded us a bit of happiness and possibility. And most people in the world can't get that. You know, that's just a powerful reframing and way to look at debt because I look at it that way too. And I know some people, they can't like, and, I, and I've spoken about this. I wrote a blog post about it. I think I did a, a podcast episode about it. If you have like really like a negative view on it and you regret, you know, everything that you did that caused you to get into debt, of course, you're going to look back at it and, you know, wish you never did it. But I think if you flip it and realize, like you just said, like for me, at least same situation, I wouldn't have been able to go to the school that I went to without taking on loans. And obviously there is some debt that is just is pointless. But I think for the most part, there is some of the debt that we've taken on in the past. It's not to be ashamed of. It's gotten to us to where we are today. It's a learning opportunity for what now what we can teach our kids not to do. 
So I think it's important that, and I love that you're reframing this thought and I hope other people listening can start to reframe if they do feel bad, bad about how much debt they have or what they did to go into debt, that they can see this in a better light. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I started investing while I had six figures in debt. Normal convention says you do not do this. You know, you pay off your debt and then you invest. But I thought about it. Yeah, those are for the people that don't have to catch up. Like, I really have to catch up here. And so I need my money working overtime. Yes, I'm paying this debt off. But then what's for me? After I pay this debt, who's going to work for me? Where's my money growing? Where's the future, my future Angela, going to get fed? And so that's kind of the mindset that I have around paying off debt while investing. And it's such a good point because I know the Dave Ramsey's of the world or the followers of that method. It's all about paying off all your debt first. Like he even advises pay off even your mortgage. I think Dave Ramsey, people who love him, don't come after me. I forgot the actual steps he has, but I know one of it is don't invest at all until you paid everything off. And for people of color, black people who are traditionally behind on the wealth scale, We can't afford to wait. And that doesn't mean that we just let our debt just accumulate and do nothing about it. But we need to be proactive in finding ways, even if it's, you know, small amounts to invest. So let's, how much debt did you have? And how did you start to manage that process of investing while paying down your debt? Mm -hmm. So I had well into the six figures. So it was probably about at least 200 to 250. And then I also had credit cards, right? And I did that bit where it's like, oh, you're going to transfer my balance. And so I thought I was a magician, mathematician, and I was going to, you know, play with the interest rates and all that. It wasn't until later I learned how to do it properly. But at the same time, I thought to myself, okay, we have discretionary income. We all spend money. And so what really shifted for me was thinking about ownership versus consumption. And so A, how did I get into the debt? B, is there any way for me to switch the debt into ownership and still get that fix of spending? So it really was a mental shift again for me to think, okay, instead of going on this wonderful trip to Mexico with my friends, maybe I should buy some airline stock, right? It was me shifting and thinking, okay, instead of me freaking out when everyone else freaks out about the market going down, I'm going to cancel this thing and I'm going to invest that money into Amazon or Google. Right. Instead of me saying, I'm going to just jump in and buy my first house because everyone's like, you need to own property. What I'm going to do is I'm going to invest in Caterpillar, which is the big machines that make the houses and Home Depot. Right. And for me, I thought about that ownership and I thought while everyone else is living their life and getting their dreams accomplished, I'm getting paid for that, too. So in part, it's almost like my dreams. It's almost as if I'm hijacking onto the energy of other people doing things. And that's a motivation in and of itself. It is. And you said you went to school for philosophy? Philosophy with a minor in business. Okay. You know, it's interesting because you talked about going to school to learn how to think. And I do think when we talk about investing in ourselves, the education part of it, right? Like I I literally feel like the critical thinking skills goes far beyond uh, any technical degree or money itself, because that's why they say, you know, people who have a lot of money or who have worked through things, right? Like the smartest people, quote unquote, who made a lot of money, you take all that away from them. They can most likely regenerate that money in a few years because they're using obviously their experience, but also their critical thinking to work through situations. So I can't stress enough how important that is. And if you have a degree in something where you're just like, well, I didn't go to school for business or something uh, prestigious or go to like a school that gave you those credentials is that even with writing, even with a writing degree or teaching degree, there are, there are these things that you have picked up upon that can help you, whether you become an entrepreneur and or a side hustle and or invest like that will help you make the right decisions to get you to that place of wealth that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe it's um, my immigrant background that values education like so much It's literally your golden ticket out. And it doesn't necessarily have to be formal education. It could be the school of hard knocks. You could pay someone for their school of hard knocks lessons so that you don't have to learn it. And you can also just just try to think, like, how can I get paid to be me? And so I have a program and um, in our incubator, we were talking about this. How do we get paid to exist? And I took them through a meditation where they literally told me about their life. Like, tell me how you grew up, all of this. And we came up with 50 companies 
based on what their life is and their lifestyle. And one of my um, participants, she said, you know, we have a pizza night every week with my family. And it's something that we love. We love doing our pizza nights together. Us and the kids, I get to interact with them. And I thought, well, do you own Domino stock? Right. And she's like, no, like, why would I own Domino stock? And I said, girl, you've been doing this pizza night for how long? For like 10 years? Even if you said, okay, one night we're not going to do pizza, we're going to make it at home and we're going to purchase the stock. That way it's still pizza night. You know, it's just about thinking about your life in terms of really self reflecting and introspecting. How can I own these things that make my life possible? Even Visa, I own Visa, that credit card. Yes, all y'all that is getting me paid right now. It's such a smart way to think about it. And I do want to, so as we get more into now the investing conversation, you know, we want to make sure that we are not giving you specific investing advice here. So Angela, do your spiel because you did it so perfectly the last time. <laughs> so this information is for purely educational purposes only. Investing in the stock market does involve risk. If you are looking for more insight into how this impacts you and your finances personally, please seek the advice of an advisor or an accountant. Of course, you can always take one of our educational classes, but of course it is educational. The companies mentioned here are for merely case study purposes only. Love it. Okay. So how did you become self-taught? Because there are a lot of people who hear investing all the time and they don't make a move about it because they're afraid. Can you also just define and be specific about the ways in which you invest? Are you talking about investing via you like long term in a 401k or retirement account? Are you talking about short term investing? I love this question. So I am a passive investor and I am very passionate about that passiveness. And what we're doing is we're building an asset that can grow and live on its own over time. So there is a bit of intentionality to that. I invest in individual stocks and I invest also in funds. And I also um, advocate investing in different types of accounts because I start with the image of who I want to be in the future. And this is like this, this amazingly abundant, philanthropic, rarely taxed Angela. <laughs> and so I plan backwards. And so I do invest in retirement accounts, but mainly what I teach is long-term passive wealth. Because so many times we're short-sighted and we don't think about tomorrow, but tomorrow is literally just a few hours away. And I don't understand why we worry about tomorrow, but we don't actually plan for it, a lot of us. And if you don't want to worry, you just plan and you just step into the party. So that's the party that I invite everyone to. It's like, well, let's create this amazingly epic party for the rest of your life. And what we're doing now is we're, we're just creating invitations we're buying up supplies, we're creating all this so that when you step into the room, it's exactly the way you want it to be, which is your tomorrow. So essentially, it's also a buy and hold strategy, right? Absolutely. A lot of it is buy and hold. We do trim. I do trim and I advocate trimming for tax reasons and also for cutting losses, but it really is like 80% buy and hold. Okay, we know we got to step back. So we got to explain what trim is. And then I even want to be specific about buy and hold. I'm also one of those um, kind of investors. I invest for the long term. I don't need the money that I'm investing right now, especially in the retirement accounts. I don't expect to touch that anytime soon. So I am content to buy. I don't, you know, I don't check the stock market every day for dips because I know when I need the money or when I'm getting closer to needing the money, I'll rebalance my portfolio. So buy and hold, meaning you buy a stock and or fund or or asset, and you you are intend to keep it for the long term so it can grow over time with compounding interest. When you just mentioned trimming, what did you mean by that? So I did mean rebalancing, right? And so I also teach through analogy. I know that I could tell folks like, yes, there's PE ratio and there's like, you know, rebalancing and I can get really technical, but those are the words I think that people have created to really make investing unapproachable. So when I hear, when someone hears trimming, they're like, oh, like split ends, like, oh, like here, that's just not working for us anymore. Exactly that, boo. It's exactly that just with stocks. The ones that aren't working for us, we're just going to cut a little bit off the end, right? That's it. And so then it just makes it so much more approachable. So yes, that is my version of trimming. It's actually rebalancing. I love the analogy of cutting the split ends and um, cutting off what's no longer useful. So smart to do it, th to think of it that way. With, when it comes to like your career, like, so you talked about entrepreneurship being the launch pad to creating wealth. So you were working in this job, only making about what, $40,000. You 
you said you decided like you needed freedom. So what were the next steps you took? Because as you, I said in your bio, you started to travel and become location independent. Well, let's talk a little bit about that stage of your life. Yeah. And so I became, and you did ask before about how did I become self-taught? So I did read a couple of books. I found my granddaddy, our, our, our all great granddaddy and granddaddy, Warren Buffett. <laughs> and I started following these people where even though they didn't look like me, I, I realized early on, there is no separation between them and I. Right. And so if they can accomplish it, I can accomplish it, which is a very different narrative than what we're fed in and around us, especially as a person of color. It's usually like there's this statistic and that statistic. And if you worry with all the statistics, you probably wouldn't do anything or ever leave your house or even try to get anything. So I made that as a big differentiator. It was there is nothing different about me and these other people that look nothing like me that are three times my age. Right. And then the second thing I thought about was, okay, after reading those books, what's the difference between their method and like investing in penny stocks? Because I'm a little broke right now and pennies seem really good to me. But then when I realized that actually a company is worth the stock price, I don't want to invest in a company that's only worth a penny. It's kind of like dating someone who's literally worth a penny. Like, why would I want to date anything? Why do I want pennies? I'm not trying to be in this, in the scarcity of it. And so that's when I really found like, growth strategy, value-based strategies. And I also took courses because books can literally take you but so far. And after a while, you're going to have a huge notebook full of notes and no actual way to tie it into a real strategy. And so I had information paralysis and that's when I took one of my first courses, right? And then I'd interview people. I spoke to people that I had known to invest in the past and I'd ask them questions like, how did it work for you? How was it in the dip of 89? Because at this point when I started, it was actually right before the recession. And so they say something's coming. I didn't know what it was. So I I asked people how it went. And then, of course, it came a couple months later. And I just, I I kept on investing. I didn't cash out. So that's kind of how it happened. And for me, I started thinking about how can I make more money or save more money to invest? And that's when I started the traveling. That's when I started travel hacking, living in Thailand, um, in Chiang Mai specifically, living in Vietnam and really paying like, I don't know, $400 for a studio apartment and living off of $100 a month for expenses. And I was living grand. It was a studio apartment. Someone did my laundry. And that's kind of how I really took more money and invested it. I didn't think I'm going to pay off all the debt. I still had credit cards, um, not as many, and I still had student loans, but I gave some to that and I gave some to my investments. Okay. So I got to ask you walking back through those steps of quitting your job. Then what did you do for money while you were working uh, remotely? Where you, This is the point where you're working for yourself? Mm-hmm. I started a uh, social media agency. And so this is, again... I didn't have a certification. There weren't certifications for social media or anything like that. I just thought, I'm young. I have a Facebook account. And there's older people who want to do this for their business and have zero idea what they're doing. I can help some people for 500 bucks a month. And four people at 500 bucks a month is $2,000. Like that's real money, especially when you need, I don't know, half of that to actually live in a place. So a couple of questions. How did you find your first clients? And then how did you know to move to where you move to, because, you know, there's so many places in the world. I mean, you know, it's different now. There's more restrictions with the pandemic and the coronavirus, but I can imagine like someone listening and saying, yeah, I want to move somewhere else too, but where do I move to? And then what am I going to do for money? And where do I start like with getting clients? Mm -hmm. So this is something that you want to be intentional about, right? You don't want to just peace out (laughs) and go to a third world country without a plan, right? Get a plan, tap into a community. So for me, when I found my first clients, um, actually through BNI. And so it's called Business Networking International. And it's a super old school networking, similar to a, a like chamber of commerce. And I'd go to these meetings and I printed some cards and I was like, I look way younger than I am. So people just thought, you're young. You must know what you're doing. It's social media. And I thought, yeah, I know what I'm doing. Okay, we'll figure this out together. And I thought, well, I have a degree in a minor in business. Like, how hard can this be? So that's what I did in terms of getting clients. And I approached it from a leadership perspective. I said, you know, this is your legacy and this is also your intellectual property. This is an investment, right? As you start building your social impact and your influence, this is a treasure trail to who you are, right? And so when you don't want to work, these things are working for you. 
This is how you would pitch your clients. This is how I would pitch my clients. I'm an introvert at heart. So I actually, I'm not a huge, big social media person. So this is when fake it to your make it eventually doesn't work out because it did work in the beginning. But for me, it was like, ah, like everyone's on their phone and I still feel this way, you know? And so there was an internal rift that I had to deal with. However, I still got the job done and I did it in excellence. And then I started getting into these communities about um, location-independent work, right? What does it mean to be location-independent? Um, there was a circle called the Dynamite Circle, which are people, actually, most of it was 90% white men. But honestly, go where the money is and where the people have the luxury to think about the money. And these folks had the luxury and time without the backstory to think about it. And so for me, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go with you guys. You are figuring it out. No one else is talking about this. So I went with them. I found a, a group of people in the city that I wanted to go to. There are tons of Facebook groups for this. And so I thought, okay, Asia, I heard that it's a really great cost of living. The dollar gets good there. So I thought, Asia, where in Asia? Okay, I need reliable internet connection. This is the number one thing you need if you're going to try this thing. Reliable internet connection. Okay, this country has great internet. Okay, are the people happy? I can't be in like a dictator state. You know, like what's going on here? And so you want to look at that too. And you also want to check out like the term expat, how many expats are there? Because you're still an American and expat just means expatriate, meaning someone who speaks, I guess, English in a foreign land. You want to see where can you find these connections because you're literally starting from scratch and everyone else around you is going to look at you as if you're crazy, right? Everyone around you is going to say, you are crazy for going all the way around the world in another time zone. But this is actually the life I have right now still to this day. My husband works a nine to five. Well, it's like nine to nine, right? And so he works a lot. However, we have it. So he is location independent and he can take his calls wherever we are. And so there are times when I'm like, yo, let's go to Mexico, right? We could just do that for some time. Let's go to New York for the summer. Let's dip out and go to Europe. As long as you create this lifestyle, you can feed it. And I love how you just incorporated, you have a husband and you have kids too right now. But when you were doing this um, back in the day, when you're working uh, first uh, for yourself and paying off the debt in the beginning stages, you were like single. So I do love, I, it's like I always reminisce on back before, like for me as being a mom and wife, like the freedom that you have before, like, I know it's different for everyone, but for me, at least with my husband's job, he needs to go in. He's a teacher, right? So it's not virtual at this point. Or he's not location independent. So our time is limited to certain time frames. But I do love how you just reference you doing it as a single woman, how it can be done. It can also be scary for someone who has not done it before, but it's possible. And then even figuring out as a couple or someone who has kids that it also maybe it's not the same type of freedom and time availability you have, but it can be worked out or figured out in some way. It can be. If you want it to, it can be. I mean, for my husband, we negotiated him being location independent, right? After the pandemic started going down, they said, hey, we want you to come into the office. And I'm like, oh no, like we can't go back to offices. Like we, we, we have a good thing going here. And so instead of taking certain financial incentives, it was like, actually, I'm more supportive at home with my wife and my kids doing two hours of commuting, I rather put that back into working, right? And working harder and working more efficiently. And so having that narrative, planting those seeds with your employer or having your partner do that with their employer is something that you can start navigating. And you start small. You know, there was something um, this summer when cars were out and no one could find a car to purchase. I wanted to go to New York for the summer. To, to go to a party. I do I do things like this, right? Someone's having a party in New York. I'm like, I'm there, baby shower. I'm there. Like, what are we doing? Because <laughs> I'm from New York originally and I live in Texas now. And so the flights were so expensive. It was like 450 bucks a pop for three of us and we'd have to get a rental car there. And so I thought, you know what? What if I just bought a car and we drove to New York? And so we wouldn't need the rental car and we can actually drive. And that's what we did. And my husband worked remotely in the car. We got like really good hotspot stuff going on. And the kids had their devices and we made a road trip and stopped at like five or six different states. And so you just think about what is this balance? And, and it was cheaper. It was cheaper to take time to spend with my family, to take them on a trip. We got to see amazing things. And it was beautiful. 
Yes, I love that. And let's talk a bit about why you were being location independent, working on your uh, social media business, what happened? Because as I understand it, there's some changes and things you needed to come back to the States for. So yes, I did. So my mom was actually getting married, getting married, not to my dad. So she was getting married. And I thought this is actually why I was also leaving the States. I was living in my mom's basement. She was getting married. And I thought there's no way I'm going to some other like man's house to live. Like I'm going to figure this out. I can't afford New York City. So I'm going to go around the world. So I come back home for this wedding for my mom and I decide to stay with my dad. And I'm saying, I'm like, dad, can I stay with you? He says, yes, of course. It's a small studio apartment, but what's mine is yours. So I'm staying with my dad. And what's really interesting is he doesn't actually look that well. And if you saw him in passing, you'd never tell, right? If I wasn't living with him, there was no way I could see that he didn't look well. And so I took him to the doctor and it turned out he actually had a very bad condition. He had, um, he had liver disease. And so I decided to press pause on this going back to Asia business where all my friends in life was to stay with my dad. And what was really beautiful about this time frame was that as we were there taking him to appointments, I still had my business. So I was really trying to do both. I was trying to do the business, doing social media stuff, as well as taking care of him. And I got to a point where I couldn't manage both. I had to make a decision. Am I going to take care of my dad or am I going to do this business? Because doctor's appointments are infamously longer than they say they will be. And now I'm making food, going to organic stores. Everything changed in just a split of an eye. And so now my income went down, way down. And I'm here trying to be for my dad. And I'm like, what the hell am I supposed to do? And this is a situation that a lot of people our age aren't put in. Oh, but it's coming, right? So my parents are older and I have the blessing and the curse of experiencing life a lot earlier than a lot of our counterparts. And so being a caretaker is something that's very real. And there will be a point where the person you love might need to be taken care of and you will have to make a decision. Do I take care of them or do I stop working, which the money actually takes care of them too? So all this to say is um, I decided to use my investments. And I never thought that I would need my investments for this. Angela sitting there, 20, early 20s, working in an office in Dumbo, playing stock market investing, like, do-to-do, I'm just going to buy this. It's on sale. I never thought that I'd actually have to cash out my Amazon, cash out Google, cash out all these companies to start taking care of my dad and to start supporting us. And that's something that I I really treasure about investing in the long-termness of it. Because if it was short-term, I would have cashed out the investments right? Because this was three or four years later. And if it was uh, not long-term, these investments, some of them had tripled in value at that time. And so it was just a really beautiful testament to um, what that could do for you. And I get caught up a little bit as I talk about it, just because my dad uh, did eventually pass away. And so I have zero regrets about it. And this is why I'm also really passionate about teaching it. Because it's like, you don't know what you don't know. And there are amazing things that happen when you invest, like purchasing your house and making trust fund babies and all these wonderful, beautiful things. But there's also beautiful things like being there for the people you love. Which is the entire reason. And, you know, you don't know, not only do you don't know what you don't know, but you don't know when you're going to need that life vest then. And you're literally building and creating life vests for yourself and these little boats that you can hop on when you need them. If you love the Journey to Launch podcast, you are going to love this podcast called Frugal Living. You can tune into the Frugal Living podcast every Tuesday for relevant topics from industry experts on saving hacks, your financial well-being, and of course, a little inspiration. Series four is all about helping you in 2022 with consumer advice, decluttering your life, and answers to questions you're thinking about, like what's the state of travel, or ones you may not be thinking about, like why do we even have credit scores? Hear unique stories on how to shop and live smarter, sponsored by your friends at Brad's Deals that love sharing deals that aren't too good to be true. Frugal Living is available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Join the conversation and learn something new about Frugal Living. Let's talk about what is professional today. 
On LinkedIn, important conversations are happening around what it means to be a professional. What's considered professional has vastly changed from decades, even just years ago. Right now, LinkedIn members are talking about things like needing more flexibility around where we work, how we work, and even taking time away from work to focus on family or mental health, because those things should not stunt career development and growth. Instead, they should enhance it as we show up on our own terms. Members are even putting what's most important to them in their job titles with things like podcast host slash activist slash mom. I know I'm going to update it to say podcast host slash author slash financial freedom crusader. Professional is ours to define and our authentic self is our professional self. So if your LinkedIn doesn't reflect who you really are, update your job title, post your truth. Show the world the authentic, professional you and join the conversations redefining professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, welcome professionals. How long did that process take? So wondering, you know, you were now then using your money from your investments to sustain your lifestyle and to help your dad out. How long was that process? That was probably for nine months. So we lived off of it for nine months. Right. And during that time, I'm I'm sure you weren't focused on, you know, what's next, but how did you start back again or find that energy to continue? I mean, obviously you saw it work. You saw that it did what it needed to do, but like what happened after that part of your life? So I had to put a pause on investing for that time frame. right? There was no income coming in to actually invest. What I started doing, literally piecing my life back together. So after my dad had passed, I thought about going back to social media, but I came even more passionate about, dang it, what are we really doing here? Looking at other people's lives, not cherishing our own and not trying to make our own impact. But I still did it because like a good immigrant taught person, you do what you got to do until you don't got to do it anymore. Right. Like, I don't want to go to work. Our parents didn't want to go to work yet. They did. This is what you do. You suck it up and you do what you have to do. And so I did what I had to do. And then I started teaching other people about investing a little bit on the side. Right. And so at this point, people were like, Hey, how did you end up just stop working? You stopped your business. You didn't get a job and you took care of your dad. That's how did you do that? Right. And everyone kind of thought that I had this magic, like I won the lotto and I didn't tell anyone. Everyone started thinking like, no, Angela got money, but she's not telling us, but she doesn't look like she has money, but she's clearly living with, without the consideration of it. I said, no, actually I used to invest and that's what I use. So people would ask me about it. And then I started um, becoming really known in New York city in the tech space, right? This is just a couple of years ago, maybe six, seven years ago. And folks started hearing my name fly around because I was doing the thing. I'm like tech, own tech. And so I started talking about ownership. And one day on a show, I thought, you know, honestly, I own a lot of the things that piss me off about the world. It makes me better. Like the philosopher yogi inside of me, I get upset, but I don't at the same time because it's making me wealthier. And people said, wait, rewind. Can you say that again? And I said, well, you're on Instagram all the time and you're obsessed with like this, this lifestyle. However, you're making me wealthier. And so I can tell you, take a moment to take a breath from your phone, but if you don't, that's okay too. Cause I'm getting paid either way. (laughs) And so that's kind of where it started. And people started asking me more questions about it. Like, how do you invest? I didn't know I can buy a partial share. I didn't know that I could buy one. And I'm like, yes, you could buy one actually. And if you buy one every year for the rest of your life, your life would probably be different towards the end. Yeah. You know, and here I feel like, and that is the conflicting, it could be for some people conflicting, like, you know, I don't like social media and the, you know, meta and Facebook and all this, this world that we're turning into. But like you said, you can make money off of it if you can get in, you know, and invest in these companies. It's funny, like in the investing world, right? The people who are really like in the the fire movement, and I'm not trying to like, people are wonderful in this movement, you know, but there are some people who will say, okay, you know, consumerism is bad and all these things. And yes, it is, but you are making your money off of consumerism when you invest in index funds and when you're investing in the stock market. 
So it's like that same thing you're bashing people for doing, for spending their money and enjoying their life. And I'm not saying everyone is doing this in that movement or in this movement, but there are some people who kind of look down and it's just like, well, I don't spend my money. I'm very smart about that. That's so dumb for this person to go buy this car or to go, you know, on do these things. But then you're investing in the markets that help you earn money and become wealthy because of those people that you're judging. Yes. Emotions need to be taken out when you think about investing, right? And I think I excel at it because I'm logical. I know that about, and I have certain qualms about the fire movement as well in the sense of it's like, I grew up pretty poor. I'm good on that. Like I paid my dues for scrunching around. I know if I need to, I can, but I also know my life is meant to be enjoyed and I work really hard and I get to enjoy it. And if something makes me happy and I'm going to keep it for a long time, fine. And even if it makes me happy and I'm going to keep it for the moment that it made me happy, fine too, right? You have to find that balance. But at the same time, you can't really poo-poo on it. You know, like I have my third rails, right? I'm not investing in prisons, period. And I will go through a fund and I will comb through it to make sure that my third rails aren't present in that. Can you explain third rails and what it, what you mean by that? Okay. So from New York City, we have trains. Lesson number one, when you grow up in a town with trains, you don't ever touch that third rail. You will get electrocuted and die, right? These are like the no touch zones. If you're married, third rails exist there too. You just got the conversations you know that you and your partner should not be having. It's going to go in a negative way, right? So third rails are your boundaries. It is the non-negotiables about the person in which who you are, right? And so for some of us, these are our values. These are our ethics. I have a lot of clients who are like, I only want to invest in companies who practice social responsibility, who do good in the world. You can do that. I only want to invest in women-owned companies or, or I want to have a portion of my investments go into that. You can do that, right? And so it's not this black or white either or thing. You can find an investment pattern or style or philosophy that suits you and adopt it. And so for me, that's an investment pattern that reflects, yes, your third rails, but also your values. And if the things are not super, you know, I don't care that much about social and other people. I care about me being on social more so than anything and me not disrespecting people while I'm sitting there being on my phone because I'm super present to the value of life. But other people, if it doesn't rub you that way, go forth and it's okay. It's okay. And it's okay because I'm also making money. Right. Well, where are you and with your debt now? Let's talk a little bit about that. So we can get people who are currently still in a lot of debt, uh, but want to invest comfortable with this idea of balancing both. What are your thoughts on it? Mm -hmm. And so... Actually, there's um, someone, Shani Curry from Purse Empowerment. She really loves the debt conversation. Um, I typically don't deal in the debt conversation because I think what you focus on, you attract and it multiplies. So I'm really abundance forward. I'm like, uh, we're responsible adults here. You will find a way to pay the debt. The more money you have, the faster your debt will go. If you focus on getting more money, it's easier than trying to figure out how to slice a pie 20 times over get a bigger pie, get an additional pie, right? Step out of the conversation. That's just my viewpoint. It's okay to not be everyone's viewpoint. And so with that, I've been working with other people who do have these viewpoints because it's still very valuable. And so I've actually been even learning with Shani about things that we created a course together where we, um, some people, we do investing and we do debt, right? And so this this answer is actually different than what I did. And I'm gonna tell you both things. Right. And so I'm going to come to you with the this is probably what you should be doing. And this is what I did. Take from it what you will. Okay. <laughs> so, one is when I started um, paying off debt, where I am right now is I do have credit card debt, but I pay my balances off every month. So, I do like the miles and the hijacking and all that stuff, the credit card hacking. I do, I do a good chunk of it. Right. Um, because my perspective is I want to keep my money in my aura as long as possible. It can go out, but it has to come back with friends. If I pay for something and it goes out and the understanding it is not going to come back with friends, well, then it needs to be somebody else's money that goes out. And by utilizing credit card points, it is somebody else's money that's going out, right? And so I look at it and this is the way I view my money. Um, and so that's where I am. I still have student debt because the interest rates on my student loan debt is much lower than the interest and the return I'm making with my investments. And so 
after you start investing for some time, you start getting good at it, right? Because if you focus on something really good and you study it, there's no way for it to happen. Because if you're analyzing your mistakes and learning and getting teachers and mentors, it's going to work, right? There's nothing different between you or I or anybody else. So I've done that so much so over time, I know for every amount invested, this is what I could on average expect. And that number on average that I can expect is much higher than what I would put to my student loans. Does that make sense? It does. I get it. I get I get it. And it's this strategy that a lot of here's the thing. I think what you like you said, what you focus on will work and uh and you'll attract more of it. But there are wealthy people who there this is how they became wealthy. This is how they're using wealth. It's like if I can pay off, I had a similar situation, even when it comes to renovating uh, my basement and, you know, I have the money that I can pay for that um, in cash. And I recently hired financial planners uh, to help me. And, you know, part of the conversation was why, when you can like literally borrow that at such a less rate, lower rate and invest that money instead. Um, And so I totally agree with that. And then I have people and friends um, of the podcast who've come on the podcast and they're like, absolutely not you know, no debt, no credit card debt. I don't care what, what kind of friends come back with it. I don't care if Bill Gates comes back or, you know, Tom Warren Buffett himself <laughs> come back with you from the after party. Like they're not coming in the house. Right. And, and it's just, it, it feels like, but it works for them and they're enjoying their life or it, and it's fine. Uh, and so it's such a personal conversation or decision. I'm part logical and part emotional, but you, the person listening, have to make the decision on, can you do that? I will say this. I think if you're in the beginning part of your journey and you're not disciplined, then using debt strategies like uh, putting everything on a credit card and trying to pay it off every month when you can't pay off your existing cards are not going to work, right? And it's like, yes, you can do that at later stages once you're more experienced, but don't think like you hear us talking and you're like, oh, I'm good with debt now. So I'll still just continue to pay my minimums, but still you're not investing. Still, you're not budgeting or at least having a plan for your money. That still needs to happen. Mm-hmm. I, I completely agree with you. You want to think about it, not in terms of one step forward, one step backward, but you want to think if I'm going to go a step backward, can I take four steps forward? It's really this ebb and flow relationship with your money. You know, right now, I'm I'm all about which about my money is making the money, right? Who's making the money? Am I making the money or is my money making the money? This is this new concept that I'm really um, pontificating on as of late, right? Because I get it. I can make a crap load of money, but do I necessarily want this to be tied to my hours all the time, right? I, d- I don't. I want my money to make the money. And so all this to say is when you're thinking about, hey, the future future you may not be the same as present you. Present you, maybe you have debt, um, you've you've got responsibilities, you've got a high living balance in terms of it takes a lot of money, cost of living for you. But what does the future you look like? Does future you have investments? Does future you live off of 40% of what they make? Does future you still have debt? If so, what is the debt that you have and why? I want you to step back and take an exercise in thinking about this future you And then be intentional. If you said this future you has investments, well, you can learn how to invest without actually investing yet, right? There are lots of simulators out there. I'm a fan of don't wait for when you need it to then learn it. That's how it was for me. I was in debt, broke, but I was learning because I knew one day I will have the money to make a really powerful decision. And there's no way I'm going to invest 10K without knowing what I'm doing. Would y'all really want to wait to have 10K than to spend years to figure out what to do with that? No. Oh, that's such a good point. It's such a good point to prepare yourself for the opportunity before the opportunity even is there. And would you know it, the opportunity will appear or you will see it once you are in the preparation, not waiting for it to happen. Love that. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And so I do want to ask, can I ask you a question about your investments? Yeah. (laughs) I'm like scandalous. <laughs> and so where are you with your investments and what's your philosophy? It's so funny because I am not like, I, you know, I'm in some groups, some Facebook groups, where I follow people and they're so into it. They're checking their market, like the market every day or their portfolios, they're tracking things. And I'm actually not 
like that. You know, I am literally like a set it and forget it kind of person. Obviously, I want to make sure that I know how to log into my accounts, that I know where the money is. This is part of the reason why I hired um financial planner, because it's like I know all the things. It's just nice to have like almost like a committee to help me make the decisions. And I don't want to be my own echo chamber. With that said, I'm not risk adverse in the sense of I don't need the money now. So it's like primary, like a lot in equities, like in an index funds. Look, I don't like picking individual stocks, not to say that I won't do that in the future. I see the benefit of it. But again, I am so overwhelmed with life and business, quite honestly, that I'm just like, this is not something that I want to dedicate my time to. And so I literally just had the approach of I'm going to invest every month. I'm going to invest as much as I can. That still allows me to live my lifestyle. That's going to be a combination in retirement accounts so we can lessen our tax burden and taxable accounts so that I don't have to do Journey to Launch forever. Um, so uh, that is kind of like my approach. And then I'm also very uh, much now getting more comfortable with debt. For me, it's like if I can pay it off, if I have the choice and I have the money to pay off this thing, but I'm choosing to put it on a card for the points or do something different where it's that leverage that I'm using for more or better, then that's totally fine with me too. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. And I think that's a totally suitable plan. You know, there is no right. And I think that's probably the confusing thing for some folks. It's like, there's no right or wrong to this, but you go through phases. You know, there might be a phase where you're out of journey to launch, I don't know, sells for like a multi-million dollar amount and you come on an advisory so that your people still have you, but you're kind of like getting paid to be you, I don't know, 10 times over. Who knows? This could probably happen because I just said it. I have a tongue where things happen when I say it. So you just really don't know. Ooh, I like it. <laughs> and so it could very well happen. But you could get to a point where like, you know, I have this windfall windfall of money and I actually have a lot of time on my hands. Maybe I want to check into actual companies. Maybe I want to do some angel investing. Maybe there's a company that has a trajectory to, to become public, right? You can actually carve these things. But in the season that you're in, that's not what you want to do. And that's totally fine. But your money is still making money. You're right. not like, oh, I don't want to do this. So I'm not going to invest in funds or I'm not going to get the support to do it. And I think that's the most valuable thing. And the thing is, I'm open to everything. Crypto, and like these new, they're not as new anymore, but newer asset classes. Like I'm not, you know, like, oh, this is absolutely no way. It's like, I'm open to it. Real estate investing, that real estate investing was a big part of what catapulted me with my start because I bought my property in Dumbo so early. And I thought that was how I was going to be a primary investor apart from uh, traditional kind of investing in the markets was real estate. And then I realized after even now currently owning my Dumbo property and having to sometimes deal with management of that, that that is not some, that's not a place where I want to spend my time, but it could be in the future. So I love, that's why I love talking to different types of people who invest in different ways because just because I'm not currently doing it, it doesn't mean someone who's listening a journey or to this podcast doesn't want to understand or learn this different method. And I think that is the beauty, even with your story, honestly, Angela, like when you talk about I can learn from anyone and I take what you I need and I leave what I don't, I think that is honestly the approach that I've seen many successful people take in which I'm going to figure out how I can apply this to my life. Like I, maybe you were born with a trust fund and you're a totally different background, but what is it about you and what has kept you going that I can learn from? If nothing, then fine. But don't just, just write something off because it doesn't fit into a box. Mm. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. Yeah. You don't fit into a box, so your strategy shouldn't. And it's really, there's something out there like wealth can be made. If you desire it, there is a way for you. One of the reasons why I love investing in the stock market as of right now, and I don't know how long this will be, there is no credit score check. There is no minimum. There is no, you can't do it too many times or too few times. I feel there's so much opportunity to grow and contract with it, right? It really is such a forgiving asset class. So what would be some next steps for someone for them to start to get comfortable with this? You've talked about simulators. Is there one that you can suggest or a book for people, especially the beginners who are still not there yet? And then we're definitely going to find out how we can keep up with you and what you have going on. There's a book. It's super old school, but I love it. Um, not that old, but maybe like maybe five years old. Um, a colleague of mine made it. It's called The 8020 Investor by David Shiner. And it's actually a really great,
great book for beginners because it's basic enough, but you'll have an initial strategy. And so that's one resource that I, I give a lot. Sometimes we host a boot camp or a first stock challenge, and I always put that as a resource and it still holds. And then also I would say is, I think Thinkorswim is a simulator, but really and truly, I'm a huge fan of Market Watch. And it's like also really interesting over Yahoo Finance or CNBC. There's this one special feature where you can actually add a, an amount, like a pretend stock. You can say, hey, I just want to buy one share of this. And it'll say, okay, and you'll save it. And then you'll go back later and it'll show you, I would have made this much money on this one share if I did buy it. And so, so far, Market Watch is the only one that allows you, it's literally called add a lot or a holding. It's the only one that will allow you to add a holding for fake. Um, that's for free. Okay, I like that. So we'll try to include all of those in the show notes for you guys if that want to check that out. Angela, any last words when it comes to investing and just some takeaways for journeyers? You can do it. You can do it. Your future self will thank you praise you, love you, adore you. Your kids will love you, praise you, adore you. Really, it's one of the most empowering and gratifying things you can do. And get educated. It is a crazy world out there. There's a lot of content and there's a lot of information. And I don't want you to think that just investing in your stash or stockpile or like a, a little app is the promised land. Like people's lives literally get shifted with this. So find a mentor. I'd be more than happy to be your mentor, but find a mentor that can show you the way um, because it's possible to have six figures passively. And it's just more important than you think, honestly. I work with a lot of older people and they're like, why didn't I find you this many years ago? And I was like, I wasn't born yet. <laughs> so you came across this episode for a reason. Just think about your future self and what the next best step is for you. And so, yep, I'm at the happy investor method. Yes. And what are you, you said you're not on social that much, but you can share your shuffles. <laughs> I'm not. Don't judge me if you see it. Like I'm not. <laughs> and you understand because we just had a whole conversation about the consensual right. relationship I have with it. Um, but I am at happy investor method and you can find that on Instagram. And you can also go to happyinvestorguide.com and get a free training or a checklist. And that's where I communicate with my folks. I'm one of those old school email folks. I will write you love letters and talk to you about money in your email box. I love it. And you know, I just want to say this too, because I know there are a lot of people who listen to this who have an aversion to putting themselves out there or social media. It's like stealth, wealth, like no one needs to know like all the things, you know? And so I think it's it's inspiring, like you having your business, which can, could have been a totally another conversation about just the business side of things and how you're earning money that way. But it's inspiring for people who was like, I want to make money. I want to invest, but I don't want to be on the internet. Like I want to be low key. And it's possible. It's actually possible to do that. Not everyone needs 100,000 followers or a million <laughs> followers to make it in business and or to be wealthy. So just saying. No, you don't. My company makes, um, it's a half million dollar a year company. So, and I do this in my pajamas, in the sanctity of my sanctuary of my space and without being highly social. So it is possible you show up for people. They will show up for you. You decide to have an impact and it just starts small. I done told y'all $500 a month was my first client offering. Wow. All right, Angela, thank you so much. I'm so glad we got through this uh, episode. If you're listening, definitely tag me at Journey to Launch. Tag Angela, although she won't see it. Your Instagram is <laughs> Happy Investor Method. Maybe she'll see it. <laughs> if you see me, just be proud and know I overcame something. <laughs> Love it. All right. Thanks so much, Angela. Thank you. Don't forget, you can get the episode show notes for this episode by going to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this. And you can still grab your jumpstart guide for free to help you on your journey to financial freedom by going to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart. If you want to support me and the podcast and love the free content and information that you get here, here are four ways that you can support me in the show. One, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen, whether that's Apple Podcasts, that purple app on your phone, 
your Android device, YouTube, Spotify, wherever it is that you happen to listen, just subscribe so you are not missing an episode. And if you're happening to listen to this in Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and subscribe there. I appreciate and read every single review. Number two, follow me on my social media accounts. I'm at Journey to Launch on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I love, love, love interacting with journeyers there. Three, support and check out the sponsors of this show if you hear something that interests you. Sponsors are the main ways we keep the podcast lights on here, so show them some love for supporting your girl. Four, and last but not least, share this episode, this podcast, with a friend or family member or coworker so that we can spread the message of Journey to Launch. All right, that's it. Until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. Journeyers.